Hello and welcome to Wednesday Bible Study. Um, today we are in Matthew chapter 9 verses 9 through 13 where Jesus calls Matthew, his disciple, to follow him. Now I'm going to read the scripture. It's only a few verses. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And let's read that together. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Okay, so Matthew was identified, according to his occupation, as a tax collector, right? And tax collectors, what did they do? They sat in booths at the entry points of cities and cross sections of the commerce, that's where markets would have been, and they collected taxes for the Roman government. Um, now, the Roman government was ruling at that time, and you were a second-class citizen if you were a Jewish person in that area. And um, so what happened was a tax collector would be collecting money for their oppressors, for Rome, and sometimes they even charged extra over and above what was necessary to their Jewish brethren uh, because they would skim that money off the top and steal it for themselves. So Matthew, along with all other tax collectors, would have been quite wealthy from, uh, from their naughty um, behavior of stealing. And they were regarded as so. They were regarded as robbers by their fellow people. Um, and also being a tax collector for the Romans would have made Matthew despised by his fellow Jews. They would not have looked at him with respect. Um, he would have been um, the very bottom of society. They would have regarded him as a traitor, an enemy of the state who took Jewish money, and he gave it to the people who were oppressing them to Rome. But Jesus knew exactly what the behavior of tax collectors was. And in making a point once, Jesus was speaking about loving our enemies. He was teaching. Um, and he used the tax man as an example to the people um, that their behavior had to be better than that of tax collectors. Here's that scripture. It's in Matthew 5, 46. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what re reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? So Jesus knew right write well what the tax collectors were on about or that their behavior was very bad. He knew. He even used him as an example. Now, a sinner to a religious person of that day, a Pharisee. A Pharisee would have been a very learned person of the scriptures of that time. Um, the, the religious folk, a Pharisee. To them, a sinner was a Jew who did not follow the law plus their own pharisaical laws, the laws that they added on top of the Mosaic laws. They made up lots of stuff, these Pharisees, of how people were to um, be the people of God, even things that were not real, things that were not as in not real as in not in the Mosaic law. 
So anyone who fell short of that in their eyes was a sinner. Now we know today from our Bibles that we're all sinners. There's nobody who has not sinned. It says in the scriptures, not, there's not any people who are righteous, not even one of our own of our own selves, as, ma as good as we might be in our actions and in our deeds, we are still sinners. We can never make ourselves good enough or clean enough. No one can do that. No one can do that. But we, the, the people in the scripture here, in this scripture, what we, we might find a little confusing is they speak of tax collectors and sinners as if they are separate from all people. What it was, was tax collectors, along with certain other notorious sinners of those times and in that area, would have been, um, would have been spoken about in this way. And, and um, for example, uh, let's say prostitutes or um, other tax collectors, people who, who, uh, who did wrong and they were notorious for their doing of wrong. So that's what's going to be spoken about in this chapter. And you'll see, you'll see that as we get to it. Okay, so a tax collector would have been shunned from decent Jewish society. Um, they would not have been part of the religious circles of those times, of synagogue life, of life at the temple, because they would have been shunned by religious folk as being too dirty, too filthy, just the bottom of the barrel as far as people go. They would not have been welcome. So verse 9, Jesus comes up to Matthew, walks right up to the booth, he's passing by, and he says, follow me. And just like that, Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, this is uh, this account is written of in other um, in the other gospels, not the Gospel of John, but in all the other three. And the account in Luke says that Matthew got up, he left all, and he followed him. Now, Jesus, uh, when he said "follow me," he used a Greek word that Matthew would have known to mean something a lot deeper than, hey, follow me over here. Come, let's sit on this bench and let's have a little chat about your, you know, the lifestyle you lead and that you can live better. It meant much more than that, the word that Jesus used. Matthew knew that he was being called to be a follower of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus wanted to invest a lot more in Matthew than just come sit with me over here. Follow me over here. Let's sit on this park bench. We'll, you know, we'll have some falafel together. No, no, no. It was deeper than that. It was deeper. It was follow me and I'm going to be your teacher and you're going to be my disciple and you're going to learn of me. So it's quite amazing because it says Matthew left all just at the words follow me. Do you understand what he left all means? That booth that he sat there to collect taxes at, he would have had to vie for that position. He would have had to pay big bucks to the Roman government to get that position in that booth, in that tasty little spot where lots of people came by to use his tax collecting booth. Lots of people who were tax collectors would have wanted that, that spot. But he just got up and it says he left all. It didn't say he took ledgers with him or bags of money or bags of gold and silver. He didn't do that. It says he left all and he went and he followed Jesus. He was leaving a lucrative business. He was le leaving. Um, now, he didn't get any love from other Jews, did he? But maybe he got a little um, favor with the Romans for, for being one of their uh, working for them, possibly. Most likely got a bit of favor from them. So he was leaving that. So we look at what he left. Now, remember, he didn't have the luxury that you and I have of the rest of the Bible. He was 
the Bible in the making, wasn't he? The New Testament in the making. He didn't know that either. He didn't know that when he left all, that God was going to give him so much back. He wasn't realizing all that he was going to gain, although he knew he needed to follow Jesus. I think he was quite willing to give up all just, just to find out, you know, what better Jesus was teaching for his own life. He didn't know he was going to gain so much. What did he gain? We know with hindsight that he's gained. What did he gain? He gained a new life in Christ. He gained forgiveness of sins. He gained heavenly wealth that is, you know, wonderful, like worth more than all the gold and silver of this earth. But he didn't know he would gain that. It was a big, bold step of faith on the part of Matthew, who really knew nothing of faith. He wasn't a man of faith, didn't run in the circles of faith. Anyway, verse 10. So Matthew goes, he follows Jesus. Um, and then the very next verse, verse 10, they're at a dinner party. It says that they were all sitting down in the house. Jesus is at this dinner party given by Matthew, more than likely in Matthew's house, which shows that Matthew was quite a wealthy man because it says that there were many guests at this party and all the guests were tax collectors and sinners. And that's what I meant earlier when I was saying, you're going to hear about sinners. And we we're, we know we're all sinners, but these were the notorious sinners, the really, really bad dregs of society, what people would have considered at that time. Um, and they were all at this dinner party. And these would have been Matthew's acquaintances. These were the people Matthew hung out with, did business with, his colleagues, because he didn't know nice people, good people, the good, decent people. He wasn't one himself and he didn't, he wasn't accepted by them and he didn't hang out with good, decent people. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors because that is who he was. Now what's happening here? Why is there a dinner party? What's going on? This party was a declaration on Matthew's part of his new life that he got that Jesus gave him this, he was forgiven. He was going to live a new life and he wanted everyone that he knew to know it. Not just so that they would know that he got a new life, but I believe he was being evangelistic and saying, Hey, all of you need him too. come listen to my teacher, listen to what Jesus has to say. So he invites all of these people who are the most ungodly of the most ungodly into this party. And Jesus is sitting down with them. And he is eating dinner with these people. And at this time, in this, in this, um, just at that time, it, it was something of an intimate nature to sit down and eat dinner with people. It was a sign of friendship and acceptance. Um, remember, these people would have all been eating out of common bowls, dipping into each other's bowl, you know, just in a way that we might have in, in today's society might think, oh, no, I'll get germs. I'll catch a cold. I might get COVID. I might get the flu. You know, but they didn't seem to mind. And that's how it was. Because what it was, was you were showing friendship in this way with some, you were showing acceptance. And there is Jesus sitting at this dinner party with all the tax collectors and all the sinners that Matthew knew. And he was there and he was fellowshipping with them with all these outcasts of society, you have to just imagine the scene. Jesus wouldn't have been like this sitting, you know, with a, with a, like, you know, just don't come near me. Don't touch me. Don't get too close. Jesus was there. He probably had his arm around some guy just talking to him and saying, what's going on here? What are you doing? And Jesus was, 
sitting among them in friendship and, and, um, and to reach these people, to reach these people. Now, verse 11. Okay, so imagine the scene. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. They're having, they're at a dinner party and they're being what you doing what you normally do at a dinner party. Don't think Jesus was acting all weird and, ooh, don't come near me. Neither were the disciples. They were sitting amongst the people, talking with them, finding out about their lives, seeing what made these people tick. Then, verse 11, enter the Pharisees, the religious ones. And they enter and they immediately begin judging Jesus. They were baffled as to why Jesus would be seen eating with these people in such an intimate way, in such a, a, a way that, that, you know, indicated that he was a fr their friend, eating with them. Um, and by this point in the, in, in the Gospels, the religious people are starting to hate Jesus. He's just causing too much, causing too many questions to be, you know, he's doing these miracles and, and he's not following the pharisaical rules and, you know, doing that. He's following the law. Jesus wasn't uh, always abided by the law of Moses, but he questioned a lot of what the Pharisees did and the Sadducees. And he was always questioning, you know, why do you do this and why do you do that? And he was always speaking to them and, and not always in a positive sense probably never <laughs> in a positive sense. And they, they were beginning to feel all the little digs that Jesus was giving and, and they were giving back. They were always trying to catch Jesus out. By this point, they hated Jesus. Okay. So when they see him sitting with publicans and sinners, that was um, the new, the, the King James Bible calls them uh, the tax collectors, publicans. So if you see that, that's what it means. The tax collectors, the sinners, the publicans. By this point, they are looking at Jesus and they're trying to find the wrong in him. And so they're baffled why he's doing this, but they're looking at him and they're judging him. Um, they go to the disciples and they're asking them, well, why would he eat with the dregs of society? What is he doing? You see, actually, they didn't care why Jesus was sitting with the with the um, lower class of society, the sinners of society. What they were doing by questioning in this case is they're actually lumping him in as part of the dregs of society. They are not in any way just really questioning the heart and motives of Jesus. They don't care. They hate Jesus. They're mad at him. They don't like him. And they want to lump him in with the worst people of society who they consider to be the, the worst here by asking why would he eat with with tax collectors and sinners they're judging his and questioning his character here um and more probably less questioning and more judging because they hated him and it's important to note here i have to note this here that although jesus was at this dinner party and he was eating with sinners he was fellowshipping with them in the sense that he was he was extending friendship to them wanting to hear their stories wanting to to you know um to kind of get closer to them <clears throat> that everyone at this party was a sinner we're all sinners right remember this was a party of sinners okay so they were probably telling dirty jokes Ooh, this is Poppy right here, my little dog. They were probably swearing and getting drunk. Every They would have been doing this, the sinners, because they didn't know any better. They didn't know any better. But you need to know this. Jesus never partook of their sinful ways, nor did he compromise his testimony to reach these people. He was the son of God, sinless in every way to the end of his earthly life till he died on the cross. 
He was sinless. He didn't partake of their sin, and nor did he compromise his testimony. And that is a beautiful thing. Now, I say that because sometimes I hear Christians who say, well, I go to places like bars, and I go to pubs, and I go to places to meet with people, to have a drink with them, whatever. But you see, Jesus didn't partake of the sin of these people. He wasn't sitting next to sinners, raving drunk, you know, falling on the floor and thinking, oh, let me be like them and tell some dirty jokes. No, Jesus didn't do that. He didn't have to have to sink to a sinful way to reach sinful people because that wasn't the point. Jesus wasn't trying to come down to, to sinfulness. What he was trying to do was raise the people up to, to godliness and show them there is a better way. And so in the name of evangelism, he wasn't partaking of sin um, in, in, trying to reach, in trying to reach the sinner, okay? Because that would have been wrong and that would have been sin and Jesus never sinned, okay? And I don't believe Matthew was either or any of the disciples who were at this party, this dinner party. I believe they were there in an evangelistic way remaining the holy people they were. And by holy, I don't mean that they just had some glow about them. Holy is a word that just means separate. They were separate and different. Different in the sense that they were now beginning to learn of Jesus in kingdom ways, the kingdom of God. And so they acted in a different way. They were shining the light that was inside them. They weren't putting a basket over the light that's in their life to hide it so that they could be like the sinners. The sinners don't want to be like the other sinners. What sinners and people who are hurting and broken want is they want to know there's a better way. And you're not going to do that. Neither would Jesus have if he came to them sinning. Okay? So Jesus didn't fall into sin to reach the sinners. Okay, verse 12. Jesus heard what the Pharisees were saying uh, that, you know, why is Jesus eating with them? And what he responds to them in verse 12 is this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That is such a loaded comment that Jesus makes. What he's saying there is, if you've got the cure or treatment for a sickness, which is something that some a godly person should have, right? They should have, they should carry God with them and the scriptures and the truth then you should be with the ones who need it, the sick ones. You should be among the people who need that the most. Don't keep yourself separate from them. You should be among them to help them, with the, with the heart to help them. Number two is part of what else we learn from this very loaded comment of Jesus is that Jesus is saying, I haven't come for the self-righteous and the prideful and those that deny that they're sinners because everyone is a sinner. You can't deny it. Even these people were not putting themselves in a group of, yes, I am also a sinner because they were very self-righteous. They felt that their good deeds made them righteous. Jesus was saying, I didn't come for the people who don't think they need God, people who are full of pride and people who are self-righteous. I didn't come for them, but I have come for those who are aware of their need for God. For the humble, the humble of heart will say, I need God. I'm not doing this well. I am a sinner. I have done wrong and I need forgiveness. You know, here in verse 13, this very important verse, Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. And Jesus quotes a scripture here from Hosea 6, 
6 in the Old Testament says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. Here, Jesus is reminding these Pharisees, these religious people of their own scriptures by quoting Hosea 6, 6. And I'm going to read it in the NIV um, first. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, go consider this. Go think about this. I'm going to read it also in the New Life Translation because I really like this. It just really clears. It makes it so clear. And it's this same scripture, Hosea 6, 6, that Jesus has now quoted. I want you to show love not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings, okay? Now, remember this, under the law, which was important to God, of course the law was important. He set it forth. There were things called burnt offerings, and these burnt offerings were to come. You offered a, an animal, a pure, clean animal, to the priest. The priest um, would slay the animal and burn it on the altar because it was an acknowledgement um, by that person that they had sin and they needed that sin covered and, and so that they could approach God. That's what that meant. But God is, but um, in the Old Testament, the prophet uh, Hosea, and now Jesus quoting Hosea, is saying, listen, it's not the sacrifices of animals that I really desire. What I really, really want is you to have a right heart. I want you to show love. I want you to do to offer the sacrifice because you know you need it and you genu genuinely want forgiveness. I want you to show love to other people because that's the sacrifice that I really want is for you to be a godly person and extend that godliness to people who really, really need it. And I want you to know me more. I want you not to just... Just, oh, there, I've offered the burnt sacrifice. It's fine. I can tick that off my list. I want you to want to know me. And I want you to love me and love others. Remember what Jesus said when he said, these are the two greatest commandments. This, they said, well, what are the two greatest commandments? And Jesus said the two greatest commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They were both about love because where does love come from? The heart. And when the heart is right and you're loving God and you're loving your fellow humans, then you are following what God really wants, which is you to be a person after his own heart who loves him and, and humanity. Okay. So in verse 13, Jesus uses this phrase to to the Pharisees when he says, go and go and, you know, when he tells them, go think about this this scripture, Hosea 6, 6, he says, but go and learn what this means or go and learn this. Now that was a saying that meant he's telling them, go and think about this scripture. Go meditate on this. See what you are not seeing. Think about it. Meditate on it. Meditation was always something that was in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well, where God says, I want you to think about these things. I want you to mutter these things. Say them. Think about them. Try, you know, as you're doing that, you're going to get more clarity on a particular verse of scripture that, that God has put in there. It's going to become more real to you. And it's going to go from just knowing it for its many words to actually becoming something that you understand with your heart. He's telling them, go and do this with that scripture. Because you see, they've missed the point. Jesus is saying, you've missed the point of what God is saying. Now go and think about this scripture. Think about what God actually wants from you. And this was actually a dig 
of Jesus toward the Pharisees who were meant to be the most learned in the scriptures and yet they missed the main point. Okay, then Jesus puts it quite plain because he says it this way. For I did not come to call the righteous, but I've called sinners to repentance. That's why I'm here, to call sinners to repentance. You know, he didn't come for people who felt they were good. I'm good, I don't need God. He didn't come for the self-righteous, the prideful, because they're sinners too. They're just not acknowledging it or realizing it. And um, and you can't help someone who doesn't, who says they don't need help. If someone says, no, I don't need help. Even if someone is so sick, physically sick, Think of someone who's who's super, super sick. You know, they've got this ailment there. I don't know, oozing or gross in some way. Just, you know, sick. You can see it, but they don't acknowledge it. So when you say, can I take you to the hospital? And they say, no, no, I don't need it. You can't force them. You can't make them go to the hospital. If they feel they are healthy, even though you know they're not, then you cannot help them. But those who are aware that they need help. Those are the ones who can be helped. The ones who are walking in humility and not pride. This is why God hates pride because pride stops us from receiving what we need from God, even though we desperately need it. Even if we desperately need to be healthy, <laughs> to be forgiven. And we say, I don't need it. I'm good. No, you're not. You need God because at the heart of it, none of us will ever be good enough by our own good works. We need the free gift of salvation and forgiveness from God. It only comes from God. This whole I'm a good person thing and therefore God will accept me because I'm good. No, it says that our goodness is like dirty, dirty rags. That's what it says in the Bible. It's our own goodness will never get us forgiveness before God. But, but coming to God with a humble heart and acknowledging our sin and saying, I need you, God. That is how we can approach God and receive the free gift of salvation. Okay. Um, all right. Um, I'm going to read you these two verses um, that, that are just going to reiterate that God is not about let's kill an animal and shed its blood. Yes, it had to be done under the law, but if it does, was done with a wrong heart, then God was actually not happy with that sacrifice. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Someone whose heart is, oh God, forgive me, I've done wrong. That is what? pleases the Lord, not the burnt offering, not slaying the animal, but coming and saying, I need you, God. My heart, there's, there's, they call it a broken and contrite heart, but it's a heart that is humble that comes to him. Okay, Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. You see, the Pharisees, the religious people were being seen to do the right things at the temple and in the synagogues. Um, but their, the, their hearts weren't right. They were far away from God because their attitude was, I'm better than you because I do good and I'm a better person because I do good. Not because of God, but because I do good, because I've ticked all the boxes and I've done all the things I'm meant to do and it's done. You know, sacrifice was important, but the heart wasn't right. And it was, and this was seen in how they treated people who needed God the most. And Jesus has a genuinely compassionate heart. 
you know, a genuinely compassionate heart. And I'm so thankful that he did and he still does. You know, he's still that great physician who when we come humbly to him in our sin, he will forgive us our sin if we'll acknowledge that we need him. And, and that's how our sins, that's how we receive the free gift of salvation, by acknowledging that we need that free gift of salvation. And you know what? He still helps those today who humbly acknowledge that they need him in any area of their life. If you need God, the best way, always is the best way to approach him humbly and say, I am not doing this well. I need you, God, in whatever area of your life that might be. It might be your finances. Maybe you've been a disaster in your finances. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in, in your marriage. You've been a terrible spouse and you haven't done it right. But you know what? You know you've done wrong. You know you've done wrong. And you know you, you want to get it right, but you're just not getting it right. Come to God humbly and ask him for his help. Come to him humbly. And it says that when we come humbly, that, well, it says he resists the proud. When you're proud and say, I don't need you, God says, fair enough. If you don't need me, I can't help you. But it says that he gives grace to the humble. Grace is doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that's number one, the free gift of salvation. We couldn't save ourselves and get right before God. But when we come humbly to him and say, I need you, God, we receive that free gift of salvation. And number two, when at even those of us who know Christ, let's not go into pride in any area of our life. And let's acknowledge that, you know, without God, we can't do this life. We need him every step of the way. We need him to raise our children, to to know what the, you know, we don't know what the future holds. So we need to be humble and in the word and in prayer and saying, I need you, God, because I need you to show me the right way. I need you, Lord. So humility is always the way to come to God. And God is still there with that compassionate heart, willing to help those who will acknowledge that they need Jesus. Well, I'm done now and have a wonderful day. And I hope you enjoyed the Bible study today. And um, I'll see you next week. God bless. Bye.